otherwise known as Dr. Amy, and this podcast is the most important medicine. If you're a physician or healthcare provider, this podcast is for you. This is where we learn about trauma-informed medicine and ways to build resilience in healthcare. We do this through stories, through your stories and the stories of other professionals and patients. We listen to each other to transform medicine with compassion and curiosity about what it means to be a trauma-informed practice or provider. Every time you join me, I want you to hear practical information and leave with tangible tools that you can use with your patients right away. And if you are a nurse, you can go to rnegade.pro and get credits just for listening today. And on that note, I have an incredible nurse today who we are interviewing. Um, I am joined today by Maggie Ortiz. She is a dedicated advocate for nurses' professional excellence. She has a wealth of experience at the bedside and a relentless commitment to empowering her fellow nurses. She has become a trusted voice in the field. Maggie's journey in nursing began with an associate's degree, which laid the foundation for her compassionate patient care. Then she went on to earn a bachelor's and master's degree, solidifying her expertise and understanding of the profession. Driven by a passion to protect nurses' licenses, Maggie authored a book and delivers captivating speaking events, webinars, and teaching sessions. Her aim is to equip nurses with the knowledge and skills they need, particularly emphasizing the importance of accurate documentation. As the founder of Advocates for Nurses, Maggie leads a movement dedicated to championing nurse excellence and addressing systemic issues. Her unwavering dedication makes her an invaluable ally and resources for nurses everywhere. Hi, Maggie. How are you? I'm good. We were. I was just saying to you, before we started recording, like I found you on Instagram and I was like, this woman is on fire. She is passionate. She is an advocate. I want people to hear her voice. Um, before we dive into that though, what else do you want to add about your bio, about who you are? Sure. So I spent 23 years in healthcare at, the, at 21 years at the bedside. So started in the ICU, went to the emergency room, pre-op, PACU, endoscopy, interventional radiology, interventional cardiology. So I laugh, last left the cath lab doing interventional cardiology and structural heart. So TAVRs, ablations. So spent a majority of time there. I did go to the Texas Board of Nursing where I spent a short period of time under enforcement investigating nurses. So I had to go to national training to learn how to do that in conjunction with my already experience as a nurse. So I spent a short period of time there when I was seeing things that I had questions about, what I now know to be due process concerns that mm -hmm. we recognize in civil and criminal law that I feel like are not extended to nurses and administrative law. It, it really kind of opened my eyes. So after about six months, I left that entity and I started doing my own research and asking some questions like who oversees boards mm -hmm. no one does no one does so that's that's why I became on fire and passionate <laughs> because I, I I do want the integrity of my profession upheld if a nurse you know violated standards of care then I do believe right that she should have to stand there he or she but extended like the rights of seeing your full and complete file knowing the exact allegations that are being you know, alleged against you and knowing what evidence they have. Because imagine this was two years ago. Do you remember what you were doing two years ago? Mm -hmm. I, yeah, we were all pretty isolated and <laughs> overwhelmed with healthcare and all the things. Yeah. But I, I understand what you're saying, right? 
if we don't document it, we don't know what to go back to. So I want to dig into that in a moment. Um, We are going to also talk about your book that's coming out or that has come out, Maggie, right? So that we can make sure people have access to it. But can you just tell us, sounds like there's a story in there in terms of like how you became the nurse advocate and how you became and a voice for your profession, really for nurses everywhere. Just whatever you feel comfortable with sharing with this audience, what was the story that led you there? So I've been practicing for 15 years as a critical care nurse. At the time I had my associates, I was working on my bridge, my bachelor's and my master's when I was at the board of nursing. And so when I saw these injustices that I felt like were extended to nurses, it, it changed me. I then recognized I'm not called to nursing. I wasn't five, like I'm gonna be a nurse. That wasn't me, but I knew then and there when I left the board and I started asking questions like who oversees the board of nursing when I'm sitting in front of my representatives, when I'm going to, when I'm calling the governor's office, when I'm calling the AG's office and no one's, everyone keeps passing the buck and then no one oversees the board. So if a nurse is being retaliated against, who is she gonna tell? And that changed me. That really changed me. Mm-hmm. It cost a nurse a lot of money. I'm talking about the RN, not necessarily the nurse practitioner. Right. Most bedside RNs don't have malpractice or liability insurance. Now they got fired from that job and now they have to come up with $10,000, $20,000 to fend their professional license. And now you have vague allegations that are less than a paragraph long and go ahead and defend yourself. Yes. So for people that are listening, because we have a wide audience of listeners, will you just do a little 101 as if I know nothing about nursing? What is the difference between an LPN, an MA, an RN, a licensed nurse, a non-licensed nurse? Like, is there a continuum that you could help folks follow just so that they're aware of level of advocacy and licensure that's needed? Sure. So every state is different. So a licensed practical nurse is a nurse who has less education. So less than an associate's degree in nursing, but is a licensed professional Okay. is has a limited scope of practice. And th- again, this is dictated by um, the board of nursing. I could tell you in my state specifically, the board of nursing language does say that an LPN has to be supervised. Then we move on to the RN. The RN, and again, I'll reference my state does not have to be supervised has their own independent license, does not practice under a physician, holds their own uh, license and is unsupervised. A nurse practitioner is an advanced practice nurse, holds their own independent license. 33 states, I think last I checked, they have their independent practice. They do not have to be supervised by a physician. Again, you need to reference your own state. Last I checked, that was 33 providers so they do fall under the board of nursing and then there are rules and regulations, but they uh, can assess a patient, they can write prescriptions. So they have some of the same ability as a physician does, not the same education, training and knowledge, but can write things like pres- prescriptions, do an assessment. Mm-hmm. And then we go on to a nurse anesthetist. So someone who would fall under an anesthesia provider has an advanced degree, a clinical nurse specialist, another advanced practice nurse that again can see patients and write prescriptions. So there are different levels. And as you probably are learning as well, and most of us, the educational advancement for nurses has increased over the last decade. The okay, doctorate wait. programs have increased. I, I think we missed MAs in there, Maggie. Where do MAs? Sure. I apologize. So uh, 
I don't mean below, but just um, so underneath what I would say an LPN does not hold a license, can be delegated tasks by a physician or another provider and falls under the um, physician's license. Yeah. Okay. And that's where a lot of um, physicians that I work with, they have MAs in their clinics, right? That are kind of helping them with patient intake and all that good stuff. They're fabulous, fabulous professionals. Absolutely. Yes. Different than nurses, RNs who are in hospitals. Correct. And then you can see, correct. Again, most of the time there, you are seeing a transition back of LPNs into the hospital because what's happening right now, there's a shortage. So they're trying to reinvent things. So they are transitioning LPNs back into the healthcare setting. And that can be tricky because they cannot do things like triage. They cannot do an initial assessment. They cannot create a care plan. So there are limitations on what an LPN can do. And a lot of um, nurse leaders don't realize that and know that and don't know their own rules of regulation. So I highly encourage them to do that to make sure policy reflects, does reflect the a nurse's ability to practice within that state. So, so Maggie, you're sitting in this nursing board investigative role and kind of learning the ins and outs of it. And this is for your fellow RNs who are licensed, who practice under their own license, right? And you're kind of watching these cases unfold going, who is advocating for these people? How did that change your lens as a professional? Well, it made me leave there. And then it made me realize because this entity we were all afraid of, but I don't think people really realize that people and nurses realize that the board is there to protect the public. That's and right. I don't think I re realized that to the full degree until I was there. Mm -hmm. And then I was like, wait, what? But then, but then who protects the nurse? That's right. And then when I was just seeing some things that I didn't feel like were just, it, I, I did have to leave. I morally and ethically just couldn't be a part of that. And I left and went back to the cath lab. I went to back where I was comfortable mm -hmm. and was there. And then just started asking some legitimate questions and then doing my research across the nation. Mm -hmm. And there's only five states out of 50 to my knowledge. And please, anyone has this information, I would love it. But to my knowledge, only five have any kind of oversight for border nursing. So I'm just speaking border nursing only. Five out of 50. Yeah. It's 2023. I think for all of us who are professionals, so anybody listening to this, right, it's a really good reminder that when you are licensed in your state and there is a board complaint against you, right, my, my attorney, right, neither Maggie nor I are our attorneys, but my attorney said, just remember when someone files a complaint to your board, you can lose your license. That is the first step of potentially losing your license because the board is meant to protect the public. And there's good reason for that, right? Because there's people in all of our professions doing sure. horrible things. And what we both know is that it just takes us a, a, a paragraph, like you said, of a complaint to really throw you for a loop and could cost you, you know, thousands of dollars. Yes. And, and like I said, most nurses don't have liability insurance. Like a physician is going to call their attorney. 100%. A nurse is going to struggle. And so that's where I come in. So I do nurse case management. I help the nurse and their legal team because the nurse is freaking out. Mm -hmm. And so we'll reach out to me like, oh my gosh, like I, I got two days to turn this in. And I'm like, wait, what? Wait, okay. Okay. So, all right. It's okay. We're going to ask for an extension from the board while you get legal counsel because you're not doing this by yourself, but it's going to be okay. 
you know, you're just going to give, you know, a general denial and ask for your file while you're getting a lawyer, but you got to have legal representation. So the first thing you do, it sounds like Maggie, is you just help that panicked nurse slow down the process. Yes. And education. So mm -hmm. I give them a lot of resources because if we learned about this in school, the, most of us don't remember. It was skimmed over and you're, you're drowning in medical terminology, sure. care plans. So we may have gotten a brief overview of that. Now in Texas, nurses and physicians are required to take jurisprudence. I don't know any other state that requires it. Our state does require it for initial licensure and every third cycle you have to take the three CE course. So that does skim over it as well, but nurses don't know. So I send them to the National Council for State Boards of Nursing or the NCBSN. They can mm -hmm. hover over their state and they can watch videos about the investigative process, what the investigative process looks like. And mo a lot of attorneys may not even know that piece. So I'm very heavy on the education because when they get that letter, it's like cancer. They, mm -hmm. don't, they don't hear anything else. So yeah. I try, provide them lots of resources, like it's okay, calm down. Mm -hmm. The percentage of nurses that actually lose their license is small. Now you may get punished or warning stipulations, but full-on revocation is a very small percentage. There has to be something so egregious. Honestly, most of the time the board of nursing is going to punish you in some you know, manner, fines, re-education, a warning that's going to be on your record forever. Mm -hmm. And sometimes nothing. Correct. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sometimes, of course. Yes. Sometimes just, you know, declined, right? Or not Correct. enough information or, or whatever. Um, so it sounds like you want, you know, your colleagues to slow down, become educated, right? Get lots of education, awareness, resources. If you could, if you're talking to a young nurse today, Maggie, who's just going into the hospitals, I mean, I work with them all the time, right, around trauma-informed care and, you know, just what they are getting exposed to. And like you said, like, they're just coming out of nursing school, they've been drinking from a fire hose, and then they're put on the PICU or they're put, you know, somewhere. And, and all of a sudden, like, they're just trying to learn EHR, right? What would you say to that young nurse in terms of just covering his or her bases and, and just beginning that process of, of self-advocacy? So first and foremost, you got to get medical malpractice liability insurance. People get freaky about this and like, they're going to know I have liability insurance. Who, who, who are you telling? Who are you telling? Um, from uh, the ANA board attorneys, uh, from, from that attorney's lips to my ears, she said a nurse is 98 more likely to stand in front of the board of nursing. So you get fired and now you're standing in front of the board of nursing. Do you have $10,000 right now to write to that attorney? You don't, but you got liability insurance, which is $10 a month, yes. right? So it's the best $10 that you're probably ever going to spend. You call them, call your own insurance company. Geico has it. Hey, mm -hmm. I have homeowners car insurance with you. What do you have underwriting for liability insurance? This is what I do. I work in the ICU in the hospital. Tell me what that is. The other thing that I tell nurses is that you got to introduce yourself to the Nurse Practice Act. I already gave you a gold mine to go to the NCBSN and hover over your state. Maybe you don't have a specific border nursing. Some states don't, but they for sure have rules and regulations that fall under Health and Human Services, Department of Health. And you're going to look up three things, standards of care, unprofessional conduct, and grounds for discipline. That's a 10 to 15 minute read. 
you're not reading. Why do you care about how our school got approved for nursing education? You don't. What's pertinent to you is those three things. And they will be somewhere in that. And you can go, just go to the NCBSN. Guarantee you're going to be able to find it there. Cornell Law actually takes nursing policy and makes it in a form that you can even uh, look at as well. Go to Cornell Law, type in your own state, put in Texas Border Nursing Standard Practice or Rules and Regulations, and there it is. Physicians, nurses, uh, my uh, husband is a radiology technologist and scrubs in the cath lab, him as well. I can go, you can find any of those. Mm -hmm. So get introduced to your rules and regulations. And then, then you can use those. So when you're asked to take an unsafe assignment, let's just use that for an example. Perfect. If they come to me and they're asking me to take an unsafe assignment, my next response to them in a professional, respectful manner is, A, so you asking me to violate 217.11.1A, S and T. S is you making me assignment. T is me accepting that assignment. And then also, sir or ma'am, so the definition of medical malpractice is me knowing, knowingly and willingly take that assignment. So that's civil and administrative law. So I'm just confirming that that's what you're asking me to do. And in my state of Texas and New Mexico, only two states, I will be then filing the peer review process called Safe Harbor. And if you're a nurse in those two states, you really need to introduce yourself to that process. So you see why knowledge is power. Okay, so I, I want to <laughs> pause for a minute, right? First things first, get liability insurance. It doesn't cost that much money, right? I don't care what profession you're in. If you're licensed, there's liability insurance for you. The second thing is, Tell us the name of the website again, and we'll link up to it in the show notes. NC. So it's the National Council for State Boards of Nursing or the NCBSN. Awesome. We'll link to that in the show notes. But familiarize yourself with your state law, right, in terms of standards of care, unprofessional contact, uh, conduct, and grounds for discipline. Now, what y'all heard Maggie say just now in terms of like, excuse me, sir, is this what you're asking me to do? <laughs> um, if I'm a 24-year-old nurse coming out of undergrad, that's terrifying, Maggie. I know. And you want me to say that to a supervising physician on the floor? Like, can you help me use the voice of a 24-year-old? What would you say? Well, so that's going to be to another nurse. It's going to be a charge nurse that's going to come to me or tell me that that's my assignment. So it will be one of okay. my peers and not necessarily a physicians physician. don't make patient assignments. It's, it's okay. going to be one of my peers. So you're going to go to your, you know, your charge nurse, right? Yes. They're going to come to you and ask you to take an assignment or ask you to do even like a patient care that is outside your scope or that you feel uncomfortable with. Um, and you're going to say to him or her, so I just, I'm not really certain about this. You're asking me to do something that I'm not sure what this is, if this is within my scope of practice or this is safe. Mm -hmm. Now, so I know that part of my responsibility when I got a nursing license in the state that I have to know the rules and regulations in the state, that was number one. So I do know that taking an unsafe assignment does fall under the regulation 217.11.1A S&T. So I know that, you know, that says that I can't take an unsafe assignment. So can, can you just help guide me through that? And then, you know, is there maybe another a nurse? Can we maybe call the health supervisor? Because I'm not sure if this is safe and I could cause a patient harm. It's safe, Maggie. You're fine. You're totally fine. And we are understaffed. We need you to like do your part. 
Okay, so then if, if you're asking me to do that, can we look at maybe an acuity scale? So how are you making this assignment? Because I have this patient on four different drips. I have one on Q1 hour blood sugars. There's no aid. I have the other one on Q1 hour neuro checks. This one's coming back as a fresh um, post-op cath that I'm doing Q15 minute groin checks on. Could have a retroperitoneal bleed. So nice. I'm, can, can, so can you just help me or would you be able to take one of these patients? Could we possibly call the house supervisor? That's when you're really not going to be able to back down. And then if they're still insistent, then you're going to have to say, so I am going to have to utilize safe Harbor or, or if you're in a unionized hospital, that's when you use the form, except despite objection, ADO different than safe harbor doesn't protect you like safe harbor but that's when you need to go to your union rep and you need to be involving your union rep and then you need to be filling out your ado form mm -hmm. so i just wrote down clarify first i want to clarify right and and if you're a nurse listening right now you don't have to remember the exact numbers and letters that maggie put together right but you're going to clarify is this what you're asking me to do and then if they say, yes, I'm, I'm asking you to do this, do your part, or right? right? We all know that healthcare systems are burdensome. They're asking a lot of folks at times. That's what's, that's what's really escalating physician burnout, nurse burnout, you know, of, of everyone on every level. So then when that person who's in charge of you, in fact, says, yes, this is what I need you to do. Like, we're all doing our part right now. You're just going to next reiterate. So this is what I'm hearing, right? Of course document that somewhere and Correct. you're going to then request help right like these are the four patients that i have right now could you help me with this what's the level of acuity you're asking me to take on patient number five i'm not sure i can do that so clarify reiterate request help and if you're still feeling like things are kind of unsafe or you're feeling uncertain you can then request ado or safe harbor is that right Correct. And then you can still refuse the assignment. It's not a lot of oh people get confused. Maggie, that's terrifying. I know. Terrifying. I'm well, let me tell you what's even more terrifying. What's even more terrifying? Let me load you up with the bad news. Yeah. So I do do deal with the one percenter. So nurse in Pennsylvania accepted an unsafe assignment in a long-term health care facility. She did not know she was the only nurse. She was the first day she was on it. She was a travel nurse, had never been in the building before on nights and LPN. She got her ankle bracelet off on the 1st of December. She accepted an unsafe assignment. Leadership was asking her to do inappropriate things like Q15 minute neuro checks for an LPN, which is not within their scope of practice, which tells me the RN did not know if the administrator know what the scope of practice with the LPN was, but that's a side note. They did not go after that RN. They went after this LPN. This patient had their seventh fall. They have a right to fall in the state of Pennsylvania. No bed alarms, no socks, no way for a provider that I know of to identify this person as a fall risk. This per person did her criminally um, and not just the board of nursing. So mm. both of those, she did sign that criminal conduct. And now she's on the Office of Inspector General list or the OIG list, which everyone should look up, even physicians. Because once you're on that list, you're never working in any discipline again. Mm -hmm. You will never be a real estate agent. You can't be a cosmetologist. You cannot volunteer in a nursing home. You're on this list. And so you are at, you're identified as risk. Yes. Your organization cannot receive money if you're in private practice. The OIG is no joke. So, so folks that are listening, 
this is not to increase your blood pressure, right? <laughs> this is to inform you, right? That when you're faced with uh, a really tough situation where someone's asking you to do something that feels unsafe or out of your scope or that you know you're not ready or trained for, in the short term, it feels really hard. Like I get it, right? Like I, I supervise residents all the time, psychologist residents. And I, I know that feeling that they have of like, I want to throw up right now because I'm saying no, or I'm standing up to someone who has power and authority over me. And what Maggie's saying here is we get it. That feels super nerve wracking. And that short-term discomfort needs to be held and compared to the long-term ramification for your license, right? So let's say, you know, you, you don't take the assignment or you indicate that it feels unsafe. Where are you documenting that Maggie? If you're, are you documenting that in EHR? Are you writing something and sending it to um, human resources? Like, where are you documenting that so that in six months, two years, five years, you can go back and say, these are the actions that I took. So you have to be very careful about what you're documenting in the patient's medical record because it doesn't belong to us, yep. right? You're just documenting the care that we provided. So for sure, you're filling out an incident report. For sure, you're creating internal communication via email with your leadership, 100%. Now, if you do assume care of a patient, and you know what's unsafe, the first thing I'm doing, I pick up the phone and I'm calling the doctor. So I just want you to know, sir or ma'am, and I'm documenting that in a professional manner in the medical record because I'm calling the doctor. So I have to, why am I calling the doctor? I'm informing the provider that, hey, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do X, Y, Z because there's not enough staff. And then you're writing that in the patient's medical record in a, in a respectful manner, right? Mm-hmm. As that you, you know, you're, confer- you're discussing with the patient, you know, the provider options due to the inability to provide I don't know, what is it? Q one of her vital signs, whatever it is that they're asking, you know, the doctor's going to freak out. Like, yep. wait, what? And then you have to get new orders because they have to be involved in the communication. If you're not going to be able to do something, you're going to have to let that provider know. So then that's how that gets into the documentation. But you're spot on the safe harbor peer review. You're not documenting that in the medical record. No, absolutely not. That's independent because if this does become civil litigation, you know, look what happened to Redonda. You know what they have, her incident report, that's not discoverable. That right there is criminal. I'm not even going to go into those details, but there's no toxicology there. You know this, right? There's no, there's nothing except for her incident report, which that organization handed over. So I'm just going to leave that there, but you do have to fill out an incident report, Mm -hmm. right? So, because again, if something happens, you have to have at least something. And then you need to be keeping your note of that with no HIPAA information, because now that's two years from now, how are you going to remember that event happened? Yep. Um, And and sometimes, you know, at least in my field, Maggie, what I'm doing is I'm sending a reiterative email or electronic message, whatever you have, just saying, so just to reiterate the conversation that we just had about, you know, and you don't say the patient's name, of course, um, about our our mutual patient, right? You requested this. I said this. I reiterated this information. I clarified, you still asked me to assume patient care. Um, and you're just putting it in some kind of written elect- or electronic documentation that you then can have later to cover you in the event something were to happen. And, and again, I wanna just reiterate to people, this is not to raise your blood pressure or to make you not wanna go into nursing or in my field, psychology, right? But probably the 
you know, the feedback that I've gotten as a psychologist most often is your records, your record keeping has protected your license, right? And my license, your license, Maggie, anybody who's listening that has a license in their state is your way of living. Yes. And if you can't make a living, right, then you can't provide for your family. You can't do the thing that you went to school for a long time to do. So I want people to just think about this, you know, record keeping and documentation and self-advocacy as this is the way we get to keep doing what we love doing in a way that feels ethical and appropriate for us. Right. And that's why boards have you know, ethics and legal uh, continuing education that you have to take every so often, right? And, and if you're not getting enough of that and you have questions, oh my gosh, there's so many free resources. Maggie named some, you know, you can go online and look for just information to educate yourself and be able to advocate for yourself. Yeah, I agree. And just like you said, this isn't all doom and, you know, bad stuff because knowledge is power. So now that you know this, now you're empowered with some additional tools. And I have seen or heard nurses, and even in my experience, where their documentation was sound. So they were deposed. That was a five-minute deposition because you know why? Their documentation was sound. Mm-hmm. Or the nurse where it wasn't, documented nothing. That's a five-day deposition because oh you're going to be hit hard. Like, what? <laughs> how? How? What, what did you do? That. I love I that. Mean, so- Reiterate that, Maggie. So when you document, you've got a five-minute deposition versus a five-day deposition. Yes. And if you're documenting any deviation, um, charting by exception is 100% acceptable. It's a great time management tool. Yes. Everyone should be using these tools available to us. If there's a deviation, why aren't you writing a note? Why is there not an additional note? If, especially if there's additional treatments. Why is there not an additional note tied to that with a follow-up and a communication form that everyone knows? As far for nurses, you're writing a soapy note. You're assuming care of a patient. You're going off shift. Don't reinvent the wheel. It doesn't have to be pages and pages long. And you, if you're using systems like Epic, they have smart phrases that you can use, that you can create. If you're doing the same thing every single time, give yourself credit for it. Use those smart phrases and then adapt it to that patient. Again, a template, a great utilization of your time. And you know, now what you're doing, you're giving yourself credit for what you've already done. Love we it. get complacent in that and we don't realize that. And then at the end of the shift for nurses, we're trying to go back and document and the last, stop it. Pull right. that computer around with you. If you have the option to scan the patient's bracelet, do that then you already know because you're taking care of how many patients you got the right patient can scan their bracelet. It starts there. Open the right chart. We've all done it. We've all done it. And now you're like, oh my gosh, it's not this patient. And now you're going back through and trying to figure out, don't be efficient with your time. Yes. You try to do real-time documentation. It's yeah, not disrespectful to say to the patient, I'm going to bring up your medical record so I can give myself, you know, make sure I'm, your documentation is accurate. So all providers know exactly what we're doing. Bring mm-hmm. it right up. Oh, and, and I'm sorry, will you just verify? It's Mr. Smith, right? And, and how would you like me to address you? Then you've got that all done in one. Yep, yep, we got you here. All right. And then you're doing your care. You're dropping in your smart phrase, done. Going on to the next patient. Build that into your practice, new nurses. Get that part of your workflow and then you're done. Oh my gosh. I hope everybody's just taking all of this in Maggie, right? Like it's not poor patient care 
to get into the electronic record. I mean, we, we know we've all been to providers who are like in their computer and not paying attention to anything we're saying, right? And what Maggie's saying is engage with the patient, ask them how they'd like to be referred to, get into the record and say, oh my gosh, your care is so important to me. I wanna make sure that the next nurse that takes over my shift or when Dr. So-and-so comes in, they know exactly what we've done. I, I mean, to a patient, you'd think that's refreshing, right? Correct. Okay, good, get it right, <laughs> right? Correct, correct. Um, so good and so important. Um, what do you think right now? I, I know that you're in this field of advocacy and documentation. What else is leading to burnout for nurses right now? I just don't think nurses feel supported at all between the pay, the short staffing, and who, who am I going to go tell? Who, who's going to listen to me? Who cares? They're not passing bills. Every other nurse will be assaulted. That's two an hour. We don't have enough support there. Texas just passed some legislation, which I just found out. So if you, if I get assaulted in the hospital and I want to file a complaint against that patient, my home address and my contact phone number is on that. Now the patient gets. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No. Wow. No. Wow. So why yeah. would I sign up to become a nurse? Mm -hmm. Nurses get raped. There was a nurse in Dallas that was shot in the face, a nurse and a social worker. There are metal detectors at the Dallas stadium, but not at the hospital. This was in a labor and delivery unit, a lockdown unit. There was a police officer in the building that was able to mobilize this person quickly. But I mean, I just feel like that's part of it. Don't feel safe. Don't feel supported. The pay disparity is huge. When we know the CEOs, CFOs, CNOs, are making a lot of money. And for the RN, there is no CPT code tied to us. Mm -hmm. And then when you have organizations like NPR putting out ridiculous bills and a hospital can charge $722.63 for an injection that we know a nurse gave, and I'm making $40 an hour. And so I already did that math and this article is on LinkedIn, so please look at it. So I did one injection an hour. So I can tell you right now, if I'm working in cath lab, I'm giving two and 50 fentanyl versus off that. That's two injections right off the top. Then if I need to give heparin, angiomax, so how many injections did I just stop? The organization makes millions of dollars off of us. When we can see that it's insulting to us. Oh my gosh. Can let's, I just, I could like, if, if you can't bill your own CPT code, you have no value. Correct. That's how. And so, you know, who's, who makes these decisions? It's not nurses. It's a board of physicians that makes decisions whether RNs, not not NPs, because they're LIPs, whether the RN gets um, CPT codes. So we're with the with the housekeeper. So when you are admitted to the hospital, I'm part of the room charge. Mm, mm, Maggie, that's heartbreaking. And and to be clear, and I know you, you know, um, sometimes it's not even people with medical backgrounds that are making these decisions. They're CEOs and CFOs, not even physicians, right? I think physicians, you know, value what nurses do. I think they recognize right. the, the great communicators in hospitals. <laughs> um, you know, I can't even tell you how many physician residents and physicians that I talk to that are like, oh, you don't want to mess with our nurses. Like, <laughs> very protective, right? But the other people who are making decisions around this, around the bottom line, um, I just, that just really hit home for me, right? If you can't bill a CPT code, you don't feel like you have value in a healthcare. The overhead. We're overhead. They see us as overhead. They will treat us like that until, because money is power. Mm -hmm. And we provide, again, we have these badges that track when we walk in the room. Cha-ching, start my clock. Are you kidding me right now? 
mm -hmm. in the ICU. And, mm -hmm. and I think that there's this illusion about the education of nurses even. Mm -hmm. I can assure you as a critical care nurse in an ICU, I'm spending the majority of time with that, that patient. I'm managing the drips. I'm doing all this stuff. I have an education, mm -hmm. right? I have an a critical care education. It's not the physician's not standing there right next to me. Oh, okay, go up by mic, Maggie. Mm -hmm. No, mm -hmm. I'm an independent thinker. I have a, knowledge, a body of knowledge. I was trained in the ICU with these drugs. It, they rely on me to do that. They rely on me to manage the vent, to draw an ABG and to use the tools to the guidelines. So, yep, I need to, you know, decrease their PEEP. Or I'm going up on their PEEP. I'm not calling necessarily the doctor. Hey, no, I'm a critical thinker and I have education, training and knowledge that reflects that. And I think nurses think it's very insulting. You can Google a nurse and it's something sexually inappropriate. You know, that the day and age that I'm like walking behind a physician with the, the, you know, the charts. Oh, okay. Yes, sir. With the ashtray. And I mean, I think that some people really do. And the public don't realize that nurses have, you know, a bachelor's, a master's, we're critically care trained. I have advanced cardiac life support. I had trauma nurse, TNCC. I was teaching advanced cardiac life support. I just don't think that people understand our education and that I have an independent license from yeah. the provider. And the state of Texas 1514 says that I have a duty to the patient that supersedes a hospital policy or a physician order. That's a, that's that's in the border nursing. That's, that's passed in 1983. Yes. So even just like some so, level of respect. What I'm hearing from you too, Maggie, as a way to kind of address some of that burnout is advocating for yourself, your license and your education, right? Yes. Because when we have kind of a, a psychologist, we call a locus of control, right? Like I, I have empowerment over me, but nobody's going to, you know, know your education and value unless you tell them right? Unless you advocate for yourself, unless you say, I value all of my fellow colleagues in healthcare, but this is how I'm different than an LPN or an MA, right? Yes. This is what yes. how my license is different than yours. This is what I'm able to do and not able to do, which Absolutely. means you have to be pretty stealth about knowing your skill set and education so you can advocate for yourself. Correct. Because again, I think you touched on something and I will pause here just for a second because it does, I hear this in my community where we're trying to shame somehow MAs or LPNs because they don't have the same education. No, right. that is not true. And just like you said, every one of us brings value. Our scope for practices is just different. And you just need to make sure you, that you're practicing within your scope to uphold the integrity of our profession. And then so you're not standing in front of any of these three bodies of law having to defend what you did or did not do. Mm -hmm. Oh gosh, so good. Okay, I know we're getting to this point where we, we have to start to wrap up here. Um, I have a few rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? I know you're, I know you're ready because you're a quick thinker. Um, what is, you, you've answered this in some capacities already, but I'll ask it a different way. What is one thing people get wrong about nurses? The lack of education, that we're not, we're, we're not educated. We don't have, I say smarticles. <laughs> the lack of, I do. It's just like, they don't, they just think that we're don't, we are trained in the hospital. Cause again, it, that is totally spot on, but that was like the 1900s, the Florence days that's gone. We have, I have a bachelor's of science in nursing. I have a master's of nursing. You know what I mean? I have a degree that I don't plead that people realize is based on science. That's always evolving. Mm -hmm. 
Awesome. Um, if you could go back to young Maggie 23 years ago, what would you tell her? You are called to be a nurse. You may not realize that, but you're going to have a rough journey, very different from many others. And you're going to have to suffer through some things, but you're called differently than others. Mm, so good. So good. Because I think someone listening might think like, why would I ever want to do this? It's painful. It's there. Cause again, think about the people that are mostly reaching out to me. And then I, first of all, I lead off with, so I know we have this illusion about fairness and we see this on TV, like court, you know, on order. <laughs> drama. I said, but you, that's not administrative law. And I can just tell you from my reading and my experience, you are guilty and then you have to prove your innocence. It's not the opposite. So mm -hmm. I need you to get out of your mind that it's going to be fair and just so mm -hmm. that we can move forward. Mm -hmm. So that's, and it's every day, right? It's, because I, I, it's my business, but it's every day these nurses that reach out to me. And it's, it, it is a lot, it is a lot. But I'm also hearing you say, it doesn't mean you shouldn't respond to your calling. Correct, correct. Yeah. And that we can make it better. We just have to, and you know this, the definition of insanity is repeatedly doing the same thing and ask, I mean, expecting a different income outcome. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And as nurses, as women, 90% of us are, we just kind of keep going with the same and you can't. Does that mean you're going to have to strike? Yes. Do we want to? No, but things are not going to change. What came first, the child labor or the child labor laws? If you see nurses outside the building, something's so wrong. If you got nurses to actually be nice to one another and collaborate, and I hate to even say that, something's real wrong, sister. Something is so wrong. <laughs> I mean, seriously. Beware. So, I, I mean, so we can make change, but it's, it can't just be me, Maggie, or can't just be some of these other people. It's as simple as picking up the phone and calling your representative. It's as simple as saying, I want this bill passed. Why are you not passing it? This is 10, 15 minutes of your time. I'm not talking about every day. This is, can be done, but if you don't speak up, nothing's going to change. Oh, so good. Um, so often in healthcare, um, people get intimidated by professionals and even some of the language and words you use today might feel intimidating for a young nurse or a more introverted person or someone who's not good at setting those boundaries. Um, so for the sake of just humanizing, uh, can you share with our audience just one thing that makes you imperfect? One thing that makes you a messy human being? Because <laughs> you're so put together, Maggie. Like you're so I'm not. I'm not. <laughs> I, I, but I didn't come this way. I mean, I still, I mean, I, I've been on a long journey. Right. I would by no means say that I'm perfect. And that's what I tell people. I'm learning every day. There are things that I don't know. Like the OIG, some of the stuff like the Office of Inspector General list. Some of the stuff like I, I just found out from other nurses. So I would I would not say by any means that I consider myself to be perfect and and well spoken. I'm just on a different journey, and I do try to stay humble. I do do try to listen to my people. I try to evolve every day. I try to put my ego down. Um, I, I mean, I'm sarcastic. I'm probably a little judgy, you know, but I have. A, <laughs> Matt, and I'm over the top people I'm on fire. I'm passionate. So that's probably, you know, I can be a lot. And I do realize that, but like I tell nurses that 
you're going to go in, you're not going to be animated. You need to come in a respectful manner and you're going to be part of the solution and not part of the problem. You come in animated and no one's going to hear the words that you say. They can't get over your tone and that has to be toned down. So that's probably part of my imperfection is my, you know, my ridiculousness for sure. <laughs> it's our perfect, perfectly imperfectness, right? Um, I want to just reiterate what I just heard Maggie say to all of you is that I didn't come this way right? You can learn to advocate for yourself. You can learn yes. the law. You can learn how to protect yourself. Um, okay. Last question. Hardest one on, on this podcast. It's 11 o'clock at night and you have a food craving, Maggie. What do you reach for? Twizzlers. Oh, you're my second Twizzler person. <laughs> I love me a Twizzler. Love me a Twizzler. That's amazing. Um, so Maggie, if people want to work with you, find out more about you or follow you, we're going to link up to um, your website. You have an incredible book that's coming out um, to help nurses protect themselves. Where can they find all this information? What's the best way to follow you? Sure. So like you said, my website advocates for F-O-R or number four, I did buy both of those domains. So advocates for nurses, and then all my handles are the same on every platform, Advocates for Nurses, my link tree, Advocates for Nurses. From my link tree, you're going to get podcasts that I've been on, links to Amazon where you can find my book, Help, I'm Yay. a Nurse and I'm Being Deposed. Mm -hmm. And that has come out. And it's just basic information. Again, I'm not a lawyer. I don't get legal advice. I've been deposed. I've seen nurses deposed. So it's just my experience from beginning to end. So you can get any of that off of my website. I'm on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook. I have a Facebook group. Please come and join me. We talk about border nursing stuff. Mm. My biggest thing is just trying to educate nurses because I do feel like education is power. Agree. 100% agree. And, and if any of you are getting ready to walk into the hospital here in the next 30 minutes or an hour, I just want you to hop on Instagram or TikTok, watch Maggie talk for just a few minutes. And you're going to be like, yes, I can body <laughs> yes. this language. Right. And in psychology, we say, we're going to fake it till we make it. I'm going to yes. just use some of this language. I'm going to feel empowered. I'm going to set boundaries. Um, yes. But Maggie, I want to tell you from the bottom of my heart, I'm so glad you exist in this world. I'm so Thank glad you. you exist for nurses. Thank you for everything you're doing to give voice and choice um, to champions in healthcare. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thank you. Thank, for, thank you for giving me a voice. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, that's it, friends. If you like what you're hearing in this space, I invite you to join us in the Provider Lounge, a learning collaborative to build resilience. It's an incredible group of physicians who meet monthly, get CME, and lean into conversations about trauma, resilience, and other tough topics. This is the most important medicine. Keep listening to other people's stories and let them transform you and keep sharing your own because your humanity will heal others. 